Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cross and Borders. Uh, I just finished talking hockey for an hour, so it is time to get back to the to business, and that's football. The one thing that we're all missing right now is we watch the Horde Pro Bowl weekend continue to roll on. Um, for those who have never listened to Cross and Borders before, we argue uh, the hottest topics going in the sport right now and we're gonna try and focus mainly on playoff football and uh we tried to get this done before we wanted to get this done before the divisional round happened but or the conference round happened but uh me and my guest today got pretty busy working opposite schedules can make things pretty crazy but joining me today is uh charlie pelkey he is the co-director of for basketball for Unwrapped Sports. Um, so I'm bringing more of my Unwrapped Sports family to the Cross and Borders show. Um, you can follow him at Charlie Pelk on Twitter. That's C-H-A-R-L-I-E-P-E-L-K. Uh, Charlie, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Great to be on. Finally glad we got to get this going. Absolutely, and it was kind of a good thing because we got to add two way better debate topics to the uh, segment than we were going to have, so that helps a lot. Um, I'll give you uh, like 30 seconds to shameless, uh, to non-shamelessly plug uh, whatever you want to plug. So you're the co-director of Basketball for Unwrapped Sports. Are you on any podcasts, or or do you do any writing for anybody, or...? Yeah, um, so actually over at, at the NBA Unwrapped page, uh, like you said, I'm a co-director of. We have a podcast there as well. We just uh, released our first episode of the newest season uh, yesterday. Um, me and uh, Mark Belleville, another guy over there on Unwrapped, he's my new co-host, and we're going to be doing that together for the foreseeable future, uh, hopefully every week. And other than that, uh, really not much writing going on, but hoping to get more into that as I progress with uh, Unwrapped. Yeah, well, it's okay. I always say I'm going to write more too, but writing just feels like it takes so much longer. And yeah. podcasting and, and sportscasting is, is, is where it's at. Too much effort. You, know? you, get, you get your opinion out there far easier. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, without further ado, let, let's get it started, and I'm going to let you take the pick of the litter. Do you want to talk Andy Reid, Green Bay Packers, Lamar Jackson, Patty Mahomes, or Eli Manning? Uh, let's start with uh, the Packers, just because I feel like, you know, that's the one that everyone's kind of forgotten about already as we move on to Super Bowl week. Absolutely. So that, that works with me because I am actually uh, completely on the opposite side of the fence to you, so this should be fun. So quite simply, there's not much introduction needed to this topic. Were the Packers overrated this year? I'll let you start. I think they were absolutely overrated. And uh, anyone that has followed me for a while knows I've been saying it all season. You know, if you look at what they did all season, honestly, they were terrible against the run. Terrible. And, and the 49ers knew that going into that game. And that's why they were able to exploit it so much. A lot of the games that they won... Um, you know, they, they had a very easy schedule. I remember they were struggling against teams like the Raiders and the Giants. And, you know, they, they even lost to the Chargers. They, they were a very fraudulent team in my eyes. Aaron Rodgers probably had one of the most mediocre seasons he's had. Um, 
that I can remember, honestly, in, in, in recent memory. Uh, his lowest for completion percentage, his lowest in yards, his lowest in touchdowns, um, all career lows for him. And, yeah, I mean, I was not surprised by the outcome of the 49ers-Green Bay Packers game at all. I think I saw it coming a long way. And even the game that they had against the Seahawks in the wild card round, you know, the Seahawks were really, really beat up, especially on the defensive end. Um, they didn't have Chris Carson. If, if Chris Carson was in that game, I guarantee you he would have chopped up the Green Bay Packers for 200 yards and two touchdowns, you know, just kind of like Raheem Mostert did. Um, so that's kind of how I feel. I think I think fraudulent and frauds are, are completely disrespectful words to be used in this in this. I, I thought overrated was, was deep enough and, and hurtful enough for the Green Bay Packers, but to call them frauds. Um, wow. All right. Well, we, we can go with that. I, I You know what? I'm going to say this. That I'll preface this by saying they were overrated by the media but I don't think they were overrated as a team. There's a difference in this situation that we're talking about. The media loves Aaron Rodgers. They absolutely love the man, and they will do anything to say he's the best, that he's like the second coming of Christ. And and I get that. And because of that, just like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, they the Packers were overrated within the media because of Aaron Rodgers. And just like the, the Patriots are almost every year because it's Tom Brady and it's Bill Belichick. It's the greatest coaching and coaching QB duo in, in NFL history. So it doesn't matter what product goes on the field, they're going to be rated highly because of that. So that was the situation that happened with Aaron Rodgers, I think. Um, they like It's the first season with a new coach under Matt LaFleur. So the fact that like people are calling them the worst 13-3 and football team in NFL history – that's ridiculous. That is insane. You're seriously going to sit there and say that this team was the worst 13-3 and football team? The only people who I can ever imagine saying that are team, people who are fans of teams that were 500 or worse. To sit there and say that there's a bad 13-3 and football team just blows my mind. I think they had one of the best running backs in the league. Um, the, the, the Adams struggled with injuries. A lot of the season, I mean, look to the playoffs and when he emerged in the playoffs and how much that helped Aaron Rodgers. Yes, Aaron Rodgers was still subpar. I don't disagree that Aaron Rodgers had a rough season, but that goes along with how hyped he is in the media, in my opinion. So, yeah, he underwhelmed, but but obviously he's a, he had a tough season at the wide receiver position. The run defense was terrible. The run defense was insanely underwhelming, despite the names that are across the line, the two Smiths and stuff. They just they couldn't stop anything. As soon as they got past that first line, that front line, they you might as well have given them that run, the team running against them at least five, ten yards because they were going to get more once they got past that. Um, ultimately, I'm not going to say it was a bad season for them, and I think that they, there's, there's nowhere to go but up for this team. They need to address, obviously, that run defense cannot continue to look like a complete like a train will go through it every single night um, because the secondary was one of the best for the first half of the season. It kind of fell off at the end, but you can only be the best secondary for so long when the front four and when the run defense can't get enough pressure and, and can't stop anything. Um, 
So I don't I'm not I'm not gonna say they were overrated. I don't think they were overrated. I actually had them going to the Super Bowl from the beginning of the season in my picks. I had a I had it a Packers and Chiefs Super Bowl with the Chiefs winning. Um, I think Matt LaFleur did a good job. I think there's still a lot more that to come with the Packers, and I think Aaron Rodgers will definitely improve, and they will work on that wide receiver position for him next season because as soon as Adams went down, you could see that that's one of the largest reason, reasons why Aaron Rodgers was had such an underwhelming season, I think. You know, it's funny you, you mentioned that the people that say that are fans of teams that are below 500 because I am a Jets fan. So maybe that is part of the reason why I'm saying it. Despiteful. <laughs> I do. I, I've actually always been a really big Aaron Rodgers supporter. I've always liked Aaron Rodgers. Um, ever since 2014, when I drafted him in my fantasy team, for and it was his MVP season, I always had a soft spot for him because of that. But I just – I think you watch him. You watch him on the field, and – you look at game one from this from this year against the Bears, right? He was very hyped. He was very excited. You know, he did the interview. Oh, we have a defense. And then you look at him in this NFC championship game that just happened, and he looked completely dis- disinterested, disconnected, uh, like he didn't want to be there. You know, the fumble play happened. He didn't even make any attempt to jump on that ball. It, it was a completely different Aaron Rodgers from where we saw in game one. I truly think that there something happened um, in that locker room. I don't know if it's Matt LaFleur, you know, everyone likes to make that narrative. I'm not going to push that, but something happened in Aaron Rodgers own life where he just literally looks like he doesn't want to be there. And it's affecting his play on the football field because, you know, I mean, you see all the stats, you see what people are saying. They already are trying to say that, uh, he's washed, you know, um, he's not going to have a long career as like Breeze or Brady. And I mean, if he continues playing the way he played this year, I could see that being true because he was very mediocre in my eyes, not the Aaron Rodgers that we remember doing those, you know, rolling out of the pocket, extending a play, um, throwing it 50 yards down the field, the Hail Marys. He was not exciting to watch at all this year. Um, very underwhelming. And I mean, I like I said, I don't know what it is. I'm not in the locker room, but it j- just watching him play on the field, it truly looked like there was some kind of disconnect. Uh, something happened that just had him really not wanting to be there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what it was, and I'm fully open to at the end of the season shifting the debate to is Aaron Rodgers overrated? Because I've never been a massive Aaron Rodgers fan. I mean, what what has he done? Like, he, yeah, he's exciting to watch when he has the right weapons on the field. He can throw the ball deep. Anyone will catch a ball for him. This year, he underwhelmed a lot. But I was never huge on Aaron Rodgers in the first place. I would be open to having a debate where we talk, is Aaron Rodgers overrated? Because I think Aaron Rodgers is overrated when you look around at some of the quarterbacks coming in, into the league and what they're doing. Look at a Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz had even more of a depleted force uh, for wide receivers than Mm -hmm. anybody else. He was the first quarterback to throw for 4,000 yards with no 500-yard wide receiver. Yes, Mm -hmm. you can talk about Miles Sanders. Yes, you can talk about the tight ends. But the stat is what it is because of the wide receiver position and how important that position is to catching the football and to creating yards for your offense. So... um, I mean, you look at Carson Wentz and what he did. You look at uh, 
Patrick Mahomes and what he's doing and how different that team looked without Mahomes and with Mahomes. Lamar Jackson, how different that team is this year versus last year when Flacco tried to play or when Flacco tried to keep the job from Lamar Jackson. You look at, I mean, you can look all around the league. There's examples all around the league, even like Derek Carr. I know that he's the the poster boy for hate in Vegas, not Oakland anymore. But he's a poster boy of hate for Vegas and saying, let's move on from him. But he had one of the best true completion percentages. He was the best best quarterback from a completion standpoint this season and a completion percentage standpoint. So there's some good, like these quarterbacks, like you look at the weapons they have, you look at who they are, you look at their where they're positioned in the media. I mean, they make the players around them better. I'm not convinced Aaron Rodgers makes the players around them better like Tom Brady. Tom Brady pre-turning 40 years old. He made players look better. He made Julian Edelman what Julian Edelman is. He's made a lot of these players who they are. Aaron Rodgers, you don't see people go signing massive contracts because they were catching the ball from Aaron Rodgers. But you see people go and get contracts elsewhere and not succeed as well because their quarterbacks made them look better. Their quarterbacks made them what they were. So, I mean, I would be 100% open to that debate someday because I think Aaron Rodgers is overrated and overhyped in the media. Um, but ultimately I don't think the Packers are overrated this year. I think the media overrated them, but to sit there and argue about a 13 and three team, if that next year they come out and they're eight and eight, then we can talk where the Packers overrated. If they came out this year with the expectations that they had and they went eight and eight, I'd be open to having, I'd be a lot more on the fence about this than where I am right now, but I think this team is a lot better than people give it, and I think they're going to be positioned for a lot better success after this offseason. I mean, yeah, it, that that would be a really interesting debate to have um, going forward because it, it is, it is, there's a lot of evidence to support, I mean, what you're saying, like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to deny it. I mean, besides, you know, Devontae Adams, who you could make the case Devontae Adams actually makes Aaron Rodgers look better, you know, who's he really elevating? I mean, maybe Alan Lazard a little bit, but I, you know, it, like you said, Carson Wentz, that's a really good example. He's not carrying the, the team on his shoulders like Carson Wentz is. And I mean, Carson Wentz literally carried that team. Um, Russell yeah, Wilson's another great example. I mean, yeah, he has Tyler Lockett, but he, Tyler Lockett completely ghosted Russell Wilson, like in like half the games of the season, the other half he blew up. But that's yeah. another great example that Russell Wilson was able to do things with his feet or do things elsewhere. I think it just speaks to the importance of having a mobile quarterback now and someone who can move the pocket. And Aaron Rodgers, I'm, I just don't think he's there anymore. I don't think he can move the pocket. He's not mobile enough. And that's why like a Tom Brady had such a hard time this year too, because as soon as his pocket collapsed his play collapsed because he's not a mobile quarterback. Yeah. I mean, the Patriots, they had a few other problems. Uh, I know their receivers were literally bottom last in the league for separation from corners. The Muhammad Sanu trade, which everybody thought would kind of help them, didn't at all. Besides Julian Edelman, I mean, he really was thrown in nobody. Until Nikhil Harry, he had a little bit of a coming out there at the end of the season. But, I mean, he was injured the other half of the season. so. I mean, it's a little different, little different scenario. I, but I do agree with the Packers part of it. I don't, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers can't do it anymore, or if, like I said, he's choosing not to. Like a lot of the things that he's doing, it's almost like 
you know, he's making a business decision, not jumping on the fumble, uh, not rolling out of the pocket and taking hits. Like, uh, he, he just played with a lot less spark this year. And I don't know if it's because of the, you know, nagging leg injuries that he's had or some other reason. I really don't know. It, it just, it was very weird. Even like the post-game interviews, you watch him and it just seemed like he did not want to be there on the field. Um, mm. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not trying to push any certain narrative of him versus LaFleur because, uh, you know, everyone likes to start that narrative that he can't get along with coaches. I don't really know how true that is. I'm not on the team. All I know is the reports that I read. But, I mean, you can look at his face and see that something's wrong. Mm, yeah, I mean, this this debate is a really interesting debate that I think – well, definitely, if, if more narratives come out, it's a better indicator of, of the, the situation in Green Bay. Um, as far as a team concern, I think that it's a really good team, and I think there's a lot of potential there, and I don't think they're overrated. I, I actually am almost of the belief that Aaron, that, that, that Aaron Rodgers is overrated, but the team and the skills skill level of the team is almost underrated. In comparison, so it's very difficult for this Green Bay Packers team because of Aaron Rodgers, because they have that big name quarterback and that guy who's like one of one of the few faces of football right now. So I'll be interested to see if anything comes out during the offseason. And and if nothing comes out and Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur continue on like nothing happened last season, what how next season goes and, and what happens next season with that team in general. Um because I can tell you right now, as an Eagles fan, I would have taken that off and that that receiving court any day over what we were going through to, throughout the season. So um, a Geronimo Allison, a Marquez Valdez, Scanlon, Alan Lazard, Adams, when he was healthy, I would take that any day. And Aaron Rodgers just it didn't feel like he was doing things right with the weapons that he had. Jimmy Graham, I mean, and Jay Sternberger, who barely got used, who I think is going to be in a really good tight end going forward as well. It's crazy. It's weird. Some, like you said, something's a little weird there. Um, as far as the overrated discussion goes, I think there's something up, and and I don't think it creates this this air of they're overrated, but it creates this air of concern going forward. Um, but like I said, we don't know what's going on in the locker room. We don't know if anything's going to come out, so it's hard for us to to sit there and and argue any type of narrative for for the Packers. Um, but we'll move on the next topic uh we got uh, we got a couple hall of fame debates so I, I let's do one of them right now um and as an eagles fan it pains me to have this debate but i'm ready to have it is andy reed a hall of famer without a super bowl we know the the record's there he's been a coach in the league now for two decades he has a winning record he's one of the most winningest coaches um his playoff record and and his his issues in get in getting to the big game and winning the big game are are the forefront of media attention right now. Um, so, what do you think? Is Andy Reid a Hall of Famer without the Super Bowl? We're not going to talk about the what ifs of if he wins this Super Bowl. We're saying say he loses this Super Bowl, say he has no Super Bowl at this very moment. Is Andy Reid a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I. I think he is. And to say that he's not and the reason that he hasn't, you know, won a Super Bowl, that's the only thing against him. He hasn't won the Super Bowl, right? We'll look at all the look at the reason why he hasn't won the Super Bowl. It's always one, 
constant factor, and that's the New England Patriots. When he went up against the the when he went to the Super Bowl the one time, who did he face? The New England Patriots. Now that he's in the AFC, he's running the Chiefs. Who do they play every single time when they get to the playoffs? The New England Patriots. One of the 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 probably the greatest coach of all time, the greatest quarterback of all time, the most winning franchise of all time. So you're gonna hold that against the guy because you know he kept going to AFC Championship games and couldn't get past Bill Belichick with Alex Smith as his starting quarterback. I'm not gonna hold it against him. I think he's done amazing with the things that were given to him. You even look at some of these peculiar seasons that he was put in where Nick Foles was his starting quarterback in Philadelphia. And what did he do with Nick Foles? He turned him into a star. He got him paid. He, I remember Nick Foles had seven touchdowns in one game under Andy Reid. He made Alex Smith look like a million bucks, way better than he ever looked in San Francisco. Um, and now you look at what he's doing with Mahomes and the offense that they have. I mean, Mahomes obviously a perfect combination for Andy Reid, but it's because his offenses are just always so, 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 so good. And like you said, he has the numbers. He has a great record. He's one of the most winningest coaches of all time. And there's a lot of coaches that you go back throughout history that have worse records, but because they won, you know, one Super Bowl in the 80s, they're seen as a Hall of Fame coach. Andy Reid, to me, is definitely a Hall of Famer. He's revolutionized offenses. And like I said, the only thing that's ever held him back is one thing, and that's Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Yeah, as an Eagles fan, my heart says yes. My heart says yes, he he should be in the Hall of Fame. Look what he did for the Eagles. Look, Look at the coaching tree that's come from him, Harbaugh, Peterson, I mean, his coaching tree is amazing, but I think the truth of the matter and and what the Hall of Fame stands for is he's is a no. I have to say no. Um, and now next Sunday, I am a hundred percent on Big Red's side. All about Andy Reid. All about the Kansas City Chiefs. I want him to get that damn Super Bowl. And if there is an Eagles fan out there who's saying I don't want him to get that Super Bowl, you're a heartless animal because that man is our longest tenured coach he spent 13 years with us he took us to a super bowl he got us that close now he's there again so i mean just got to get that spiel out of the way you got to be cheering for him next week um especially and mahomes i mean you can't it's so hard to not love andy Reid and patrick mahomes and who they are and what they're doing in kansas city but at the end of the day the hall of fame I was listening to sports radio the other day and I was listening to the Eli Manning debate and somebody mentioned this word and this is what stands out to me. The Hall of Fame is for the immortals. That is who the Hall of Fame is for. The immortals, the people who stand out and who stand above all. And and there's plenty of coaches who coach for years and years on end and get to the playoffs but don't make the Hall of Fame because that's not that that's not immortality. You don't bring these coaches into the Hall of Fame. You're not immortal. You don't stand out as anything different if you just win a bunch of football football games but never really get that elusive Super Bowl. And and that's the thing. I think Reed needs that Super Bowl to really cement it to say. And I think Andy Reed knows he needs that Super Bowl, and that's why he's still going. 
I mean, the man is, is he's either in his 70s or bordering on his 70s, and he's still coaching football games. And I think that he, he's going to get that Super Bowl, and I don't think he'll be around very much longer after he gets that Super Bowl. He just needs to get that elusive Super Bowl. I mean, we look at the stats, and they are 100%. You could call it Hall of Fame stats, but that Super Bowl is what's missing. One-time coach of the year. He's got his records, 207 wins, 138 losses, and a tie. The most wins ever for a coach without a Super Bowl. He's got a 500 record in the playoffs at 14-14, and 14 with his, which is six all-time among coaches. It, it, we can talk about his coaching tree until we're red in the face. But regular season success doesn't equal the Hall of Fame. It doesn't equal the opportunity to be amongst the immortals of NFL history. I just cannot, I, I can't go based on the record and the coaching tree and just being an Eagles fan. I just cannot. And that's why everything is saying, I want you to win next Sunday. Get that elusive Super Bowl and get your ass in the Hall of Fame because that is exactly what Andy Reid deserves, but without the Super Bowl, I don't think he deserves to get there. Yeah, I mean, it's fair, and honestly, I'm with you. I hope that they do win this ring, and I mean, it'll make my side of the debate so much easier because then I can just say, yes, 100%, he's going to to the Hall of Fame. If he gets that ring, it's I think it's, it's you can't debate it anymore. It's a no-brainer. But I'm thinking even, I'm just saying, even now, I think He's in because I'm not going to, you know, let me, I correlate it to basketball real quick. You look at guys like um, John Stockton and Carl Malone, right? Two of the greatest basketball players of all time. They never won a ring. And the reason they didn't win a ring is because they always played the Michael Jordan Bulls in the finals. Are you going to hold that against them for the rest of the time? No, they're still Hall of Famers. People still recognize that they're Hall of Famers, even without the rings. Now, as a player, obviously, you know, you get the stats. It's easier kind of to get into the to the NBA Hall of Fame than being a coach and getting into the Football Hall of Fame. Because I think there's only a handful of coaches in the Football Hall of Fame. I think there's only like six or something like that. Um, but I think Andy Reid is good enough to be one of those coaches. And I, I, and I'm, yeah, I mean, I just, like I said, the only thing that ever held him back was the Patriots literally probably the greatest team of all time going freaking 19 years now. And I'm not going to hold that against him, you know, for not being able to win the big one, you know, because of that one thing. Well, I mean, there's been other teams who've stepped up and challenged and beat those Patriots. So for Andy Reid to just to, to sit there and stick to the fact that he can't beat the Patriots, I, I think that that all the more cements the fact that he, you if he beat the Patriots, it's a no-brainer he's in the Hall of Fame. But to sit there and say that the Patriots are the reason he can't get it, if we're going to sit there and talk about just one solo team holding this guy back, I, I find it hard to believe that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for that. So because he can beat 31 other teams, but there's that elusive other team, and that elusive other team just happens to always be that thing that keeps you from the Super Bowl. I mean, that that's that to be able to beat that team would be all the I'd be sitting there and saying, yeah, that guy definitely deserves to be in the Super Bowl now because he finally beat that team that he, he hasn't been able to beat and that team that's been holding them back from from getting to that Super Bowl. So all the more important, I think, this year to your debate is that Andy Reid gets that Super Bowl against the 49ers 
and he just proves that he he can win that Super Bowl and that he that he can do it. Because at this point, if this was if they had have had to play the Patriots, it well honestly it would have been an insult to Andy Reid and the Chiefs if they did couldn't beat that Patriots team this season. But I just don't see him as immortal without that that Super Bowl. But the record, like everything, speaks for itself. I mean, it's just his struggles in the playoffs are, are what stand in the way. But but the record's there. His coaching tree's there. His the way he revolutionized the run pass option. The way he revolutionized offenses in football. It's all there. Everything is there to say you're almost you're immortal. You're sitting at the interview. You're immortal. You're immortal. You're oh, you didn't win the Super Bowl. And then asterisk. Yeah, couldn't beat Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, which I cannot wait to get to the Eli Manning debate now. Now that we're talking about the the elusive <laughs> Super Bowl and and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, but I'm going in. I want him in the Super or in, I want him to win the Super Bowl. I want him in the Hall of Fame. I just think he needs that Super Bowl to truly 100% be there. So so here's a question. It, you know, with that all being said, do you think that? Even if he does win this Super Bowl, the fact that he still didn't beat the Patriots to get there kind of taints the victory. It's tough because like we can't we can't go forward and say if you play the Patriots, like the Patriots aren't the Patriots anymore. So it's so like he would have had to win those games. I mean, there's always probably going to be an asterisk beside Andy Reid when people look back in history and look at his Hall of Fame career. Should he get that Super Bowl and should he be in the Hall of Fame? Um, you look back and yeah, there, there might be that asterisk there that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick had his number multiple times. Like every two, every two three years, they, they had his number. And it's like, there, there's going to be, I mean, I don't think, if, if you have a guy going to the Hall of Fame, I don't think like a guy like Andy Reid, once he cements this with the Super Bowl, I don't think there's a what ifs like we see in the Eli Manning debate. So people will ignore that. And when, when it comes, when Andy Reid announces his retirement, whenever that day and sports radio and sports casts come on, they're not going to say asterisks. Patriots and and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick constantly had his number. Should he be in the Hall of Fame? I don't think that's a doubt. That's the thing. So I don't think it'll be an asterisk, and I don't think it'll be something that ever holds him back from being in the Hall of Fame, or that people will ever really discuss. They will just discuss how great of a coach he was, and look at the record, look at the coaching tree, look at the Super Bowl that he won with Patrick Mahomes, and that type of stuff. That's the stuff they'll look at versus looking back at that little asterisk. Because there's so much more to the Eli Manning debate and so many more asterisks, asterisks that I'm seeing. So I, I don't think so. No, I don't think it'll be something that taints his Hall of Fame induction. Yeah, I don't think so either. But, um, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be people that say it. And we'll have to have that debate. If the, I mean, if he wins, if, when, when the situation arises, I'm sure we're going to have to have that debate for years. No, no doubt. No doubt. Just like the Eli Manning one is going to rage on as well. So yeah. I guess we, we might as well just keep going with the Hall of Fame debate and talk Eli Manning because Eli Manning has been all over the radio, all over television. Eli Manning finally announced his retirement from football on Friday in a press conference and the New York Giants have announced that the number 10 will never be worn uh, as for the New York Giants ever again. So now the debate rages, rages with 
pro- probably the most 50-50 split debate I know out there. Should Eli Manning be in the Hall of Fame? So I'll start, as I alluded to with the Andy Reid debate, the Hall of Fame is for the immortals. So now let's bring in the case that he beat the greatest coach and QB duo twice. Two times. And I know that there's a lot of people out there who are going to argue, oh, but he did it on one big play, the David Tyree helmet catch. Ah, da, 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 da. There's, there was always that fourth quarter drive. Is that not what you want your quarterback to do? Who cares if it happened on one play? Who cares if the game leading up to that point, he was throwing 50% completion. He had one touchdown and two picks or whatever. Who cares he won he beat the greatest coaching quarterback duo he he did it twice to win super bowls whether that be the helmet catch whether that be freak accidents whether that be luck he did it that that's that's immortal stuff right there the super bowl only happens once a year there's only been this is super bowl 54 there's been 53 super bowls and eli manning has won two of them Against perhaps against what will go down as the greatest dynasty of our lifetime. I don't think we, I don't think in our lifetime, meaning we'll ever witness a dynasty like the Bill Belichick and the Tom Brady dynasty in New England. And it'll be hard to argue that there will ever be one. And everything in sports will always be put on that pedestal up against them if we want to argue it. But but I mean, at the end of the day, that that's what you want from your QB, whether they're freak plays or not. And he had 210 straight starts. That's immortal. That's the second longest by a quarterback. And it would have been even longer if it wasn't for the ridiculous mentality of a coach to say, I'm not going to put you out for this game. He probably would still be going. He may have had the longest streak by a quarterback. Sixth in completion, seventh in passing yards, eighth in touchdowns. Those are immortal numbers. The people ahead of him are they're, they're in the Hall of Fame. The people ahead of him in those number those categories are in the Hall of Fame. His 500 record. Yes, he's got 117 wins and 117 losses. Who cares? There's quarterbacks with losing records in the Hall of Fame right now. There's quarterbacks at 500 in the Hall of Fame right now. People, I literally read an article uh, yesterday. They, people were literally picking away at passer ratings and completion ratings and saying it was actually from the Washington Post. And in the article, they were honest to God saying that he's going to lower the expectation and the tier of the Hall of Fame because of his passer rating and his completion rating in the Hall of Fame and saying there's only two people with a worse passer rating in the hall of fame right now but yet you look at those numbers in this era eli manning just in this era where players are jumping the ship for money in a heartbeat that people are not staying on teams that the durability is always a concern what eli manning has accomplished i will always remember i will always remember eli man i will always remember the helmet catch i will always remember those two massive super bowls because those were the two Super Bowls I will only ever admit that I cheered for a divisional rival because who wanted the Patriots to win? Who wanted that dynasty to continue to get championship after championship? Um, Do I think he's a first ballot or a unanimous Hall of Fame vote? No, definitely not. But he's a Hall of Fame inductee nonetheless. And the grasping for straws that people are doing to say that Eli Manning isn't a Hall of Famer is insulting to the game of football and to the era of football that we've witnessed. So, all right. 
I just want to say, I, I don't, I know he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I know he's getting in there just because, you know, you could just look at history. You know he's going to get in there. But I don't think he should. And this is why. Eli Manning is literally the most average quarterback of all time. He, his final record as a starter is 117 and 117. He cannot be any more average. He has never been a top five quarterback in the league. And he's maybe been a top 10 quarterback in the league maybe three or four times. And that was when, you know, he was top four in passing yards. He's just completely average. You look at those those games against the Patriots and what he did, right, and the, the clutch moments. Well, I would make an argument. Was Eli Manning clutch or were his receivers more clutch? The David Tyree helmet catch? That's not a good throw or anything like that. You know, Eli Manning did extend that play. You know, the guy's tugging on his jersey and he was able to get the throw off. But if David Tyree doesn't make that catch, we're not talking about Eli Manning being clutch. And we're not talking about the Giants winning that Super Bowl. I mean, they're not winning that Super Bowl if that catch isn't made. And then you look at the Plaxico Burris. I mean, he was a wide open route into the end zone. Plaxico Burris completely burnt his corner. It was nothing super clutch that Eli Manning did. You know, we always take his name and put him synonymous with those moments. And I just think that, you know, if you actually look back at them and break down the plays, they're, they're, it's not really more on Eli Manning. I think he's a little overrated in those moments. You know, I've seen people say he's one of the most clutch quarterbacks of all time. And I just cannot agree with that. Um, yeah, no, 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 no. I, I will never agree to the most clutch quarterback of all time. That That's that's an extreme I'm not willing to go with Eli Manning, despite that I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I just can't. But, like, at the end of the day, like, are we going to always put an asterisk beside every Super Bowl win and we look at what happened? The Nick Foles, the, the Nick Foles Philly special, do we put an asterisk by that? What if Trey Burton fumbles the ball on on that play instead of, makes the pass what if when they pass it off to Trey Burton to make the pass to Nick Foles what if he fumbles the ball like are we going to put asterisks asterisks on everything what if Nick Foles doesn't catch a ball we can't just put asterisks on everything that happens the the point is Eli Manning extended those plays Eli Manning got made those plays it's not that Eli Manning like the David Tyree helmet catch was not the winning catch that set them up to then go on and win Eli Manning still had to complete the drive. Eli Manning still had to get the points out of that drive. Eli Manning and his offense, I should say. I mean, you can you always have to put the, the quarterback synonymous with the plays because without that quarterback throwing the ball or without that quarterback, without that happening or without being put in the position to do that, we can always put asterisks beside everything. I'm sure this next Sunday when we're watching the Super Bowl, you can put an asterisk beside something Jimmy G does or Patrick Mahomes does. But that's just not how history works. That's just like with Andy Reid. We're not going to put an asterisk if he makes a Hall of Fame beside, beside uh, 
the Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the Patriots name and say he's in the Super Bowl for these 31 teams and being able to beat these 31 teams and do this against 31 teams but not beating them. No, we're not going to put that asterisk. He's in the Super Bowl and he, or he's in the Hall of Fame and he's going to remain in the Hall of Fame for a reason and for what he did. And you know what? From a pass rating standpoint and a completion rating standpoint, you're damn right. He is average at best. But people are arguing like sixth in completion, seventh in passing yards, eighth in touchdowns. That just goes with the era of passing. The era of passing's continuing as we very well speak. Look at what Patrick Mahomes is doing. Look at the touchdowns he's putting up. Are we just going to, let's say Patrick Mahomes wins his Super Bowl and he goes on to be Eli Mann and average for the rest of his career? Are we, but he puts up, he ends up being fourth in completions, fourth in passing yards, fourth in touchdowns. Are we just going to throw those numbers out because the rest of his year was, the rest of his career is average for a passer rating and completion rating standpoint? I know that Patrick Mahomes going become an average is mind blown, but we got to use an example here. So, well, I look at it this way: you can have Hall of Fame moments and not be a Hall of Fame player. Odell Beckham Jr.'s um, jersey from when he made the catch is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but that doesn't mean OBJ is going to the Hall of Fame as a wide receiver. Eli Manning has had. Hall of Fame-worthy moments, like the David Tyree helmet catch. Does that mean that Eli Manning deserves to have a gold jacket and sit up there with Joe Montana and uh, Dan Marino and Steve Young and, and Tom Brady and all those guys? You know, do you put Eli Manning up on that pedestal? I just cannot do that. He, like I said, he is just so completely average. And that point that you drive about, you know, the passing air continuing is a good point. Where Eli Manning is at in the all-time list is due to longevity. He had a very long career with no injuries. You know, he had the, what was it, like 246 starts straight or something 210, like that? 210, 210. Yeah, 210 straight starts. That's because of longevity. But you look at how fast or, or how much more passing is going on in today's league, Eli Manning's probably going to lose those stats or his place in history for those stats to somebody like Jared Goff. Like on like or Dak Prescott because everybody is passing the ball now. He in a, in five years, Eli Manning is gonna be outside of the top ten for those for those completion percentages, that completion yards. Um, so on like he's just gonna get more average, honestly, as time goes on. And and I think in ten years, if he does make the Hall of Fame, um, his first time up. If we look at it in 10 years, we're going to look back and, and people are going to be like, wait, why the heck is Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame? And if all you can point to is the two Super Bowls, well, there's a reason for that, too. And it's not mostly because of Eli Manning. It's because of an incredible, incredible defense that the Giants had in those seasons, especially that nine and seven season. The first one where they where they beat the Patriots with Michael Strahan. Um, you know, guys came back from injury, I think like the final week of the season. And that was, that was why they were nine and seven because they were dealing with injuries a lot that year. Older guys came back healthy. I think like the final two weeks of the season and they just made a incredible playoff run. And you look at a lot of the games that they had, it was because of the defense. You know, I think they, I remember they played a game against the Cowboys and they just made life hell for Tony Romo. Uh, Michael Strahan in that Super Bowl against the Patriots 
was amazing. They held the Patriots to only 14 points. The best, you know how good that offense was at the time? That's maybe one of the greatest offenses of all time that they held to 14 freaking points. So if you want to point at the Super Bowl victories and say, well, Eli Manning has those, he has moments in those Super Bowl victories that are worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. But is he himself, for his career, worth being in the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. I mean, I th- I think that it, it's kind of unfair to point to the, the stats full on from, from the standpoint of where were those stats stand in 10 years. Because in 10, 15 years, as we continue to watch the past and era of football go, there's going to be a lot of big names that may lose their place. Because look at the pace that Patrick Mahomes is putting up 4,000 yard seasons. I mean, and 5,000, like bordering on and right at 5,000 yard seasons. Like, you, we can't go on the what ifs to where right. those people will land in, in numbers down the road because that's unfair to anyone who's up for Hall of Fame induction going forward because you can talk about like defensive ends and defensive tackles and sacks and sack records. Yeah, but those are probably going to be broken too because it's all about building in the trenches. It's all about finding that next defensive end or that next pressure linebacker who's going to go out there and get you 20 sacks a season. It's it's unfair to point to the to those stats as the sole indicator of anything because those stats are constantly going to be changing. But 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 you're you're right. The stats are meant to be broken. The records are meant to be broken. Guys like guys like Joe Montana his stats aren't going to look as good in 10 years, but you can still look back at those guys and say that they set the president or that they set the precedent. They transformed the league. They revolutionized the league, which, you know, Joe Montana definitely did. Guys like Tom Brady definitely did. Eli Manning didn't set any precedent. He didn't change anything. He's just another run of the mill quarterback. And, you know, he's just going to go lower and lower in the rankings. He's not, he, he's, he's not, um, a, a lucrative figure throughout NFL history. You know, he's not somebody that changed the game like a Joe Montana, like a Dan Marino. Like he's, he's not going to stand up in history that way. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's so difficult to say what well, what's going to end up happening with, with Eli Manning and what's going Cause I mean, Right. At this point, he stands as immortal because I think he stands as immortal. I think he stands out because of what he did to that dynasty. Yeah, we go back to looking at those two Super Bowls. But we, you also, are we going to continue to talk about this dynasty? If we're not going to talk about the Super Bowl losses the dynasty suffered and how important Eli Manning was to those and how important Eli Manning was to getting them to that Super Bowl, then we should probably stop talking about the dynasty of x amount of super bowl appearances and all this stuff because at the end of the day that that's what makes a guy like that's what makes eli manning stand out as the immortal no he didn't change the game of of football patrick mahomes will probably change the game of football like but at the end of the day as we continue to roll on there will be some of these average guys who get in who don't change the game because not every quarterback's going to be able to change the game at the rate the game of football's changing it just so happens Eli Manning in this era and playing against this, having to go up against that dynasty setting, dynasty creating monster that is the Patriots, 
that's what's going to make him stand out. That's what's going to make him immortal. And that's what's going to cement his, his place in the Hall of Fame. Because we're constantly going to talk about what's the next dynasty. Who's the next dynasty. And we all the, I already hear conversations starting about it with the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's so difficult to tell. Because in this forever changing world of football that we're living in. I think more and more people who are in the Hall of Fame will be will become average or will look average because of the way running backs are not valued as much in, in the NFL. So we're not gonna. There's a good chance that we're not gonna see the Ladanian Tomlinson type guy ever again, just because of where the league's going. And as a running back, we may let more average running backs into the Hall of Fame because they stood out for, but based on their longevity of their career. They're, they only, you're only going to get to the age of 28 or 29 before you're you're done. And a Christian McCaffrey will probably end up being in the Hall of Fame, but will his numbers stand out over the ones who are already in there? It's so difficult to say. So it, the Hall of Fame is such a difficult thing. We have to take it for what it is in the moment and, and take it for, for what he did in the moment, I think. So uh, let me, I'm just going to ask you this one question. And I know you're an Eagles fan. So I don't know if I'll be able to trust your answer, but <laughs> there's only three losses that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have suffered in the Super Bowl. Two of them are to Eli Manning, and the other one is to Nick Foles, who's also a Super Bowl MVP. So if we're setting this bar that, you know, oh, Eli Manning beat the dynasty, you know, he beat the 17-0 and team, that's why he should go to the Hall of Fame. Does that mean that Nick Foles is also going to the Hall of Fame? Absolutely not. But that's not it has nothing to do with the, the beating of the dynasty on that one. It has everything to do with look at his career behind it. Because you're looking at he beat the dynasty twice. This, but look at the career behind him. Then there's but Nick the Foles. He beat he beat the and and Nick Foles is below average. If if you can even call him yeah. below, you might even be lower than below. Yeah. So it's so like you can't it's not all on the wins, but to do it twice is is a big thing for me, because like you just said, only three losses in the Super Bowl, two to one guy, wonder a backup quarterback who is a complete byproduct of Doug Peterson and the offense that Doug Peterson created for Nick Foles. So I, I, I will never know. I won't put Nick Foles. They can build statues outside the the Lincoln financial field but no he does not deserve to be anywhere near canton and it has nothing to do with his win or win or the the, the play will be cemented in canton uh, the philly special but not nick Foles yeah. at all so so you so basically eli manning's career is just good enough with the super bowl wins to get him in there is basically what you're saying. I would argue, yes. Without the Super take away one of those Super Bowls, take away both of those Super Bowls, and I can, I, this argument's it. so different. I can't yeah. argue for it at all. But because of what he did, the two and the numbers for now, they won't stand, but it's so hard to put it because when you look at people and how they evaluate the Hall of Fame voting, it's not, will it stand the test of time? I know we talk about it and then we argue about it, but in the moment, the people, the media who are voting are not thinking, will that stand the test of time? They're looking at what it did for the era of football at this very moment. Because eventually Joe Montana may begin to look almost average. But like you said, because of what he did to change the game and revolutionize the game, he's going to stand above the rest. 
But yeah. there are, if you look back at all the quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame right now, it Eli Manning fits perfectly with probably 15 or 20 other average subpar quarterbacks who are in the Hall of Fame right this very moment. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I know he's going to make it. Like, you're probably right. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. I just, I personally, I wouldn't put him in there myself. But, you know, it is what it is. That was a good debate. Very controversial because, like <laughs> I said, it's 50-50 and people can pick this and people can pick that. And there's always going to be something that somebody finds to, to say that, that yeah. Eli Manning shouldn't be there. So from one former or one potential probable Hall of Famer or two probable Hall of Famers to Lamar Jackson. You want to talk about a man revolutionizing a football game and the football field. We're going to talk about largely likely the MVP for this season, Lamar Jackson, who for the second straight year got bounced in a absolutely horrid and disgusting playoff performance. Um, so we're going to talk, is Lamar Jackson legit? And I'll let you go first on this one. Um, this, is, this honestly is a tricky question, though. Is he legit? Obviously, the Ravens went 14-2, and the best record in the NFL this year. How much of that is Lamar Jackson? Well, I think he works well within the system that Greg Roman put in place there for the Ravens. I think Greg Roman is a great offensive coordinator. Um, and, you know, they play to his strengths. They do a lot of RPO. And obviously that works very well when you're able to use his feet. Um, and I bit the bullet all season because, you know, I said the one weakness for him going into the season was going to be his passing. Well, his compass- his passing percentage this year was, uh, I'm pretty sure, in the, in the 60 percentile, which is pretty damn good. Um, but when you get to the playoffs, and this is why I say he's not legit, you can do all these great things in the regular season where teams maybe, you know, aren't game planning as 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 well for you uh, the week before. You know, it's a shorter week. They're they're coming they're coming off of a a Sunday night game playing on Thursday. They're they're not maybe not game planning as strong. Maybe they want to hide some things, knowing that they're going to meet you in the playoffs or something like that. But it's been twice now documented that Lamar Jackson is great in the regular season, then gets to the playoffs. And good teams know how to game plan around him. The Titans completely shut him down. And the Chargers the year before completely shut him down. So I, I really I don't know what where he goes from here. I, he obviously has some things to work on. I think maybe um, he need he needs to stop running around as much, especially for the you know, the future of his career. Nobody wants to see him take a hit and be another RG three type scenario. Um, I think he needs to become that pocket passer and trust his offensive line. Cause the Ravens have one of the best offensive lines. Um, now you look at that game against the Titans. I'm not going to be super harsh on Lamar Jackson in this instance, because there were a lot of things against him. Mark Ingram being hurt is a big one um, because he relied on that run game a lot throughout the season to take a lot of pressure off of him. But even then, with that being said, does that mean Lamar Jackson is kind of like a uh, a Dak Prescott where he needs a running back there? 
to make things easier for him. He he can't be the focal point of the offense. He needs somebody else to be. He needs an a thousand yard running back to help him carry the load. Otherwise, you know, he can't win a game. You know, is he that guy? Um, and then on top of that, there were a lot of big drop passes by the Ravens receivers. Um, uh, most importantly, Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed had a really bad game uh, in that AFC divisional round. So I'm not going to be super harsh on Lamar. I think that game should have been a lot closer than it actually was. But I do still think the Titans were in complete control the whole time, and they were going to win that game. And I think they had a great game plan for him. Everyone kept saying he threw over 300 yards at the end of the day and a few touchdowns. That was a lot of garbage time where a lot of those yards came from. Um, in the first half, I think they only put up, they put, only put up nine points. Um, they, they just completely shut down Lamar Jackson. So you ask, is he legit? Not yet. He has a lot. He has some things to work on and it's mostly passing. He needs to become a better passer. And, you know, obviously this video just came out from the pro bowl of him, uh, completely missing those, uh, targets for that little pro bowl challenge the accuracy challenge mm. and you know i'm i'm i'll take that with a grain of salt because it's you know it's just pro bowl weekend he's probably like honestly like a little tipsy or something i'm sure um so i'll take that with a grain of salt but i do think it is um a major part of his game that is lacking that he needs to work on because you even look at a lot of the the big passes that he made downfield um in in game this year in the regular season, those guys were wide open. I mean, I, I'm giving more of the credit to Greg Roman here as an offensive coordinator than I am to Lamar Jackson because, you know, and I'm not saying he has to be Drew Brees, but if he can become a Russell Wilson, I think his ceiling gets even higher. And I think he can get there. The dude is literally what, like 23, 24, something like that. He's really young. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he can get there, but I don't think he is legit yet. I'm going with Lamar Jackson is legit. I mean, first of all, let's start with the obvious stance here. He's the MVP. He was the MVP of the league, and some people, a lot of people will will be arguing, oh, he, but yeah, but if Patrick Mahomes was healthy, there's so many what-ifs to football. It's ridiculous. The NFL is full of what-ifs 24-7, 365. There's always what-ifs and there's always scenarios that you can put in play. The point is, Lamar Jackson is the MVP, well, is going to be the MVP, and Patrick Mahomes wasn't healthy, and stuff happens. Things happen. Um, the de- he was the definition of the most valuable player, quote-unquote, player to their team. Baltimore would not have been the team they were without Lamar. You speak about Greg Roman, it's tough to say if Greg Roman could have put an offense in place for like a guy like if they were stuck with Joe Flacco. It's tough to say what they could have done if they still had Joe Flacco standing in the pocket trying to throw the ball. Um, I think that he really shut down the rumors of not being able to throw this year. Did he throw amazing? Did he throw great? No, but he proved that he's not all about running. Yes, he's going to go. He's going to make a lot of stuff happen with his feet. But at the same point, he also was able to throw the ball a lot better. But he needs more weapons at the wide receiver position. Willie Sneed is not a number one receiver. Marquise Brown, I don't think he's a number one wide receiver. He's a great deep threat for him. 
That is an interesting debate. And he's a great speedster. I think he's a great speedster. I think he's a good guy like that. But when I think of a wide receiver one, I think of that wide receiver one who can who can do it all. They're not just he only has to rely on his speed or he only has to rely on certain aspects of his game. He can do everything right. Like you look at Michael Thomas. He can be fast. He can run really great routes. He can run phenomenal routes. He can go up. He can jump all contested catches. That's that's my type of wide receiver one. Not, not a guy who can just burn it down the field and make the grab for you. But yeah, that's definitely up for debate. I can see that. And But I think that you put a couple other wide receivers around him, some true weapons, and I think the legit discussion completely is shut down. And we're not even having this discussion right now. But, I mean, it's so hard to dictate it on the playoffs. Back-to-back years, there was sloppy play all around on the offense, the drops, the inability to give Jackson the space or the time to really make the play. I mean, they yeah, you, you speak to the offensive line. They did really good, and they did give them they did give them time. But when it collapsed, it collapsed, and it made it hard for Lamar Jackson to to throw the ball away because once it collapsed, you saw it collapse instantly, and someone was on him. And it's hard to make that split second throw without it being like intentional grounded. And obviously, in that game, that defense did not do him justice either because they couldn't stop anything. And but who could stop Derrick Henry until the Chiefs came around? But he's 23 years old. He's only had a year and a half of professional football seasons under his belt. And the playoffs, he'll get over that. He'll be able to conquer that playoff playoff issue eventually it just so happens that it's probably going to take a little bit longer because he's only had a year and a half and he is only 23 years old and they did do a ton of changing of the offense there was there was talks last season that last offseason that Lamar Jackson was having trouble with the offense he was having issues with grasping the offense and and the throw-in and all that stuff but he I think he put that all to rest and I think he is legit and obviously just like any quarterback there's more things that have to be adjusted within the game but that doesn't mean doesn't take him down from the tier of being legit and being a top quarterback in today's NFL I think that those are things that he has to work on and things that other quarterbacks like a guy like Carson Wentz or others they have things to work on too but that doesn't take them off the pedestal that they're on or that they should be on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a fair point. I, I, I don't feel as heavy or uh, as strong about this debate as, you know, the other ones that we've had today. But I just think he does have a lot of work to do because, like we said, the playoff record, I mean, that's when it matters most. What everyone's going to remember at the end of the day when your career is over is what happened in the playoffs. And if he can never win a single game, I mean, he's what he's going to end up like Andy Dalton. I mean, you know, be great in the regular season, get to the playoffs and get bounced the first round. Um, so he, he's got some work to do. But like I said, 23 years old, still a long, long way to go. I think he'll be all right. I absolutely agree. Um, and we'll get on to the last topic as we've now gone for an hour because couple of those topics really got us going. Mahomes is due to get paid and Watson is waiting in line for Mahomes to get paid because obviously Watson feels he's at a similar level. Obviously not Mahomes let Mahomes the in level, but definitely at a similar level. Um, so whose contract do you want and think will be best for their team going forward? Um, so I'm going to go with Mahomes. The, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to go with Mahomes. Uh, he's obviously going to make a lot 
he's going to be the most paid quarterback in the NFL. And I don't think, and I think he's worth it. I think he is worth it because I think we're looking at somebody right now that has the potential to possibly be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And I, I mean, and it's still very early in his career, but the dude is just incredible. The things that he does, uh, mm-hmm. he's worth, he's worth all the money. And, you know, I think the, the chiefs have done very well at locking up the guys they need to lock up for the foreseeable future, like Tyree kill. Um, I'm not really sure about Travis Kelsey. I can't remember when, what his contract goes through, but, um, I think guys are going to want to stay there and play with him. So they're going to be all right in that aspect. And I just think he's worth a lot more money than Deshaun Watson at this time. And like I said, I mean, you know, they're playing in the Super Bowl this year. I think they're, this is the first of many for them. He's worth all the money. And I would pay Mahomes whatever he wants going forward. Yeah, I think the the big thing here, I'm going with Watson, and the big thing here, I think, is that Mahomes. I'm I'm of the belief he ends up with 45 to 50 million dollars a year, and that's really going to cap strap the team. Um, I mean, we, we we, I mean, you look at it like so so the the salary's at 188 right now. I think it'll end up at let's call I put for for name's sake I put 198.2. Let's say that it goes up 10 million like it's been going up the last few years. A $50 million a year contracts have 25% of the team's cap. And like you said, you had Kelsey, you have Hill, uh, you have an offensive line, you have a defensive line. We talk about how important the trenches are. And and like it makes it really hard because not everyone's going to just want to come back because of Patrick Mahomes or because they think that, that they're going to win. Um, but that's not to say that I don't think that Patrick Mahomes is, is not going to make the people around him better if people choose to walk. That's why you're going to pay him. I think Mahomes is where the buck stops as far as crazy quarterback contracts for a little while. I mean, we do know we have Trevor Lawrence coming. We do know we have Joe Burrow. We know we have Tua. What they're going to become, we just don't know yet. But, I mean, people are like, well, this is the way of the contract. Yeah, but $50 million a year for a quarterback, I think the buck has to slow up or stop here soon, even if the cap's going up. Um, but I think Watson would be the better one to take because he's going to end up with a bit lesser of a cap. I think he'll end up closer to the 40 million mark, closer to the one that Dak Prescott thinks he might be worth. Um, and I mean, if if he takes 40 million, you open up that five to 10 extra million dollars. And let's say that the need for running back can be filled. Offensive line can be grabbed that that type of support can be brought in for Deshaun Watson, who's not that far off. I mean, once we, the need at wide receiver, once we get this belief out of our head that Will Fuller's actually a wide receiver too. Um, once we, once he gets more help in those ways, I think that he can be a lot better quarterback and, and he won't have to throw as much and he won't like his running game wasn't great. His running game wasn't bad. But, I mean, Deshaun Watson isn't as – he's a great scrambler, but he's not – I don't think he needs to be leaving the pocket as much as he's being forced to leave the pocket. So I'm taking that Watson contract only for the 5 to $10 million it'll free up for your team. In this – even with the cap going up, like I said, in this NFL, in this NFL day and age, you take that extra 5 to $10 million anywhere you can get it any season, no matter the guesstimation of where the cap's going to go. See – the the pay, the Chiefs are in a they they're in a kind of special situation where uh, every other team in the not every other team but almost every other team in the NFL uh, 
uh, has to pay a quarterback and a running back. Where the Chiefs, they really don't rely heavy on the run at all. So, you know, they had Kareem Hunt there, you know, a couple years ago. They probably would have paid him. But you look at what they did this year with just LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williamson, you know, guys they found in, in uh, uh, for cheap off free agency for LaShawn's case and Damian Williamson through the draft. They, they don't really need to put out a lot of money for a, a, a big name running back. So they can put money in other places for, you know, guys like Travis Kelsey, Pat, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Kill that require this big money. Um, so they, they, I feel like they, they benefit from that because they could basically go to, to the waiver wire and find some guy and put him in Andy Reid's offense, and he's going to look fine. Uh, he's going to look like one of the better running backs in the league just for being in that offense, um, at least as a receiving back probably. That being said, I think where it's going to hurt the most is for their defense. Um, obviously, they've been fine this year. They got some big names there. Um, the defense really stepped up here in the past couple of weeks, but they're going to need to keep finding guys um, in those late rounds of the draft um, to replace people because I don't think, like you said, they are going to be in a cap situation here um, in a few years, and somebody's going to have to go. And I think you got to take the defensive side. You got to, with if, if somebody has to go, you're going to have to take somebody off of the defense. You're not going to, you know not pay Mahomes or not pay Travis Kelsey. Um, so they're going to have to keep finding guys. It'll be really interesting to see if they can keep that up and do that while paying Mahomes so much. I also think the cap is going to end up going up here um, pretty soon, uh, maybe in the next couple of years or so. You know, Jerry Jones is having his own problems over there in Dallas trying to pay people. Um, he's one of the big names um, on the board. He's going to go – talk to the NFL and try to get the cap raised like they do every 10 years or so. Um, so I think the Chiefs will be all right if they pay Mahomes now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, yeah, that's a big thing. They're going to have to take like a Patriot-like strategy to where when somebody wants to get paid big and they don't want to be on the team for, for the sake of winning, um, you let them go. I mean, you've watched the Patriots do it so many. They've just yep. let walk, and they've been okay with letting walk because it frees up the cap space that they need. Tom Brady has taken fairly decent team-friendly deals, and he's basically said it this offseason, the team-friendly deals end because he knows he's worth more. He probably should have made that end about two years ago when he was yeah. 40 and then more primer of his career. But, I mean, at the end of the day, People, there's going to be people out there who are going to have to take the team-friendly deals, and the people who aren't going to take it are the quarterbacks because that's who you build your team around for a reason and because of how important they are. I just think that $50 million for a quarterback should it re reach that level it is a ton of money, is a lot of money to invest all in at one position. Um, when you look at Russell Wilson, his importance as a team and what he's doing for their his team, and the money he took, obviously, we know it's going to keep going up. It's going to keep going up. You're always pushing that envelope because the the rich keep getting richer at the top, the owners and the NFL. So that, like like we said, that cap will continue to be pushed. Um, but for the time being, hindsight's 2020. So I'm sticking with the Watson deal because that extra money is important. That extra money will be crucial to the Texans being able to really build that winning team. And getting well, and they gotta get rid of O'Brien as a coach. But 
but that's a whole different yeah. topic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Um, but, I mean, I think we both know what way it's going to go. Mahomes is going to get his bag, and Watson will probably get a little bit less. But, um, I mean, they're both the future, and it's going to be fun to watch both of them either way. Absolutely. So, I mean, I can't wait. The future of the NFL is bright, and it's continued to stay bright for years, so I cannot wait. But, um, anyways, that, that, that wraps it up. That, those are our five topics, and just that that should be just enough to get you through this Pro Bowl weekend and off to the Super Bowl. And then I'll probably be back with another Crossing Boards episode looking at some of the storylines that come out of the Super Bowl. But thank you so much, Charlie, for joining me. Anything you'd like to say or anything you'd like to plug before we're all uh, before all said and done? Oh, just thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, make sure you go follow uh, at NBA Unwrapped on Twitter, uh, at Unwrapped Sports, um, and at Charlie Pelt, like he said at the beginning of the episode. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Charlie, for your time. And good luck with everything you're doing. And hopefully we can have you back on in the future. I'm hoping to get some NBA people on. I don't talk as much NBA, but I'm hoping to be like the middleman in a debate uh, on the NBA soon enough get two people with really good knowledge of the nba so maybe i'll be reaching out to you again and we'll be having you back on crossing borders here very soon but yeah, for everybody I'm else I'm always thanks. Down. yep for everybody else thanks for listening and don't forget to rate and review and enjoy the pro bowl